So we are continuing our Talmudic medicine, medicine in the Gemara series. We are dedicating today's class in memory of Misha Chava Bas David Leib, whose yard site is today. May her neshama have an aliyah amen. Now, by divine providence, we are we are learning in the weekly portion of Tazriya Mitzayda, and I would like to first give an intro concerning the entire topic of the Parsha, which is about a ailment and its remedy that is actually very curious, that will get us to better appreciate the entire Talmudic approach to medicine and so many ways of addressing it. But let me just reiterate, when we were giving words of introduction, we brought up the following challenge. The challenge is that the Gemara was written at a time and by some of the great Tanoim, Amaroim, that were doctors, that were schooled in the medicine of the time, which was probably some sort of Greek um, system. And some of them were great doctors. Shmuel was a master doctor. And nevertheless, we do not find any mention of the local, of the current, the time, of the timely scientific medicine recorded in the Talmud. It's completely ignored. And there is literally what one can call the entire Talmudic approach to medicine. And that's just something that's very curious. The Chachamim were extremely knowledgeable of the, the, the sciences of their time. And why would they ignore it? This is a question. This is a big question. The question is bigger than the answer. But the answer that I would like to propose is I want to focus now on the Parsha of the week is the following. The, there is a Mishnah in Chagiga. The Mishnah says that all of the mitzvahs could be divided into three categories. And here are the words of the Mishnah. You have what we will call Gufei Torah, the body of the Torah. The body of the Torah refers to those commandments that are very elaborately written out, spelled out in the Torah, with great detail. Then you have another section, another category of many mitzvahs that are referred to as Harim Hataluyim Bisa'ara, mountains, mountains that are hanging on a hair. Like, for example, the laws of Shabbos. The laws of Shabbos are mountains. There are many, many halachot. But if you were to open up a chumash and to read, you would barely understand from reading exactly how does God want us to rest from work. What has Hashem mean? Now, once you learn the oral Torah, many, almost all of the dinim are hinted to. So it's like a mountain hanging on a hair. The hair is the written. Only a hair. And on that one hair, on an extra letter, or on a, or on a juxtaposition, or a similar usage of a word, we build a whole mountain. Then the Mishnah says, there is yet a third category of mitzvahs, and they are called oisios parchois ba'avid, letters that are floating in the air. Letters, but they're not even leaning on a hair. And that refers yet to a third part of the mitzvahs, that aren't even hinted to in the Torah. I'm speaking about in the five books of Moshe and the Chumash, 
but they are completely of oral tradition, known as halacha l'moisha misinai. And here is the question, why is it so? How, how would you explain that? Why is it that certain mitzvahs are written out with so much detail? Most of them are barely written out, but at least they're hinted to, and some of them are not mentioned at all, at all. Why? What would you answer? You're asking the question? I don't know. I'm asking answer. the question, yes. Not I see, not I hear you guys, but yeah, at least I can hear. Yeah, what? what, okay. what? Hi, could you repeat it? Yeah, the question is that the Mishnah just makes an observation that when you open up the Chumash, there is a tremendous lack of consistency as to how detail-oriented is God when he's writing out the mitzvahs. Many mitzvahs are spelled out with a lot of detail. Not that all of it is written in the written Torah. You always need to have the oral Torah. But still, I give you an example. The laws of Kashrus. The laws of Kashrus are spelled out very elaborately. The Torah tells you the two signs that make an animal kosher. The Torah uses examples, gives names of birds. Names. It, it, it's a mitzvah that's written out. Then you have, like I said, Shabbos. Shabbos is a mitzvah that when God says, you shall not work, more or less, that's all that God wrote. God wrote another thing. God wrote, don't, don't uh, create a fire. Maybe God wrote not to carry. Maybe if, that's the, if we properly understand that verse. That's it. In other words, very little of our observance is spelled out in the Torah. It's almost all from oral tradition. But, but the Torah Shabal Peh shows you how to find a hint to it in the Chumash. Then you have certain mitzvahs that are not mentioned at all. Not even hinted to. I'll give you an example. That if someone makes a vow and you want to undo the vow, it's called hataras nedarim, hatarat nedarim. People are familiar with it. We do it as a custom every Ed of Rosh Hashanah. Do you know that there isn't even a hint to hataras nedarim in the Torah at all? The Torah speaks about, at certain times, the power a father has over a minor daughter, sometimes to not to, to uh, stop her vow. But there is never, not even a hint, that a Beisden can get together, and they can be matir, they can untie a vow. All of that is oral tradition. So my question is, why is it so? Now, God should have been consistent. Either spell it all out, or only allude to it, and my question is, I'm building up because we should really inspire each other to learn better chitas. And this week, Parshas Tazriya Metzoyda, you have almost two incomplete portions in the Torah that speak about a topic that we Bechlal don't practice today. It's like, to us, it sounds like it's irrelevant. And it's written with so much detail. Not like Shabbos. A mitzvah that appears to be a lot less relevant. Shabbos we keep every week. I mean, learn Chumash Rashi. This type of tzoras, that type of tzoras. The tzoras of the skin, tzoras of the garment, tzoras of the home. It looks like this, it looks like that. Like a lot of details. Details of signs of impurity. Then the specifics of how you purify. Like God Almighty. Like, and many people, they come to shul, it's like this week they'll be Chinese to them. They don't understand, like, they, don't, they, don't, they can't relate to it. So how would you explain that? Here we go. Question, take two. What's the answer? Okay, I'll take a stab at it. Oh, um, thank you. It, it, is it because <coughs> the 
the the Torah was written. It's written for all times. Good. And there are some times in our journey that those things don't necessarily apply, but we still need to know all the rules about them. Fully, what you're saying is so good, but I still will insist, why don't you write about all the mitzvahs to the same degree? In other words, I, you're right, Bela. In other words, when I was suggesting that since it's not relevant, don't write it. No, that you can't say. No, there are many times, and I'll go into detail soon, when these, when the when the parish of the week is very relevant. It used to be that way. It's going to be that way. I get it. It should always be in the Torah. But I still ask, write about it in the, with the same measure. Imagine you're writing a cookbook, and some some recipes you only write a hint. Some recipes you only give over tradition. You say, ask your mother how to do it. You don't even write add garnished. And then some of it you get into so much needy ditty detail, and some of the reason says, I don't understand the author. Like, you know, generalize, specify, hint, be consistent. There is a lack of consistency in the Torah. That's what I'm asking. So maybe for different loopholes? Like maybe Hashem's giving us an out. For certain things, and why couldn't that out be been have? Why could that have not been transmitted orally? So maybe different, like maybe kind of like Bela said, maybe different times, different things, time and place. So here again, again, I'm asking Yafa, why? I don't understand why Shabbos. God hardly wrote about Shabbos. Every time God speaks about Shabbos, it's like three verses. V'shomru bnei Yisrael as a Shabbos. What does that mean? Imagine, tell your kids, guard the Shabbos. They won't understand what you're talking about. These words are mamish, almost nonsensical. God, just he's hinting. And Tzadas, wow. God is said exactly what it is. I have an idea. No. Maybe because like something like Shabbat, um, everything that we do is kind of kinesthetic learning. We have to do the activity and not no, like for Shabbat it's, it's action oriented and for Saras it's basically what you see what it looks like the details I don't know Okay, I you're guess. giving okay now you okay. I now you're saying something very good. I'm not going to go down that path, but at least I get us. You're saying something very logical. In other words, maybe there are different topics. Some topics, um, especially when you can't have it when you, if you don't have a picture book, which is Saras. If you don't have a picture book, then you have to give a lot more words to explain something. And I agree with you. Shabbos is not a, it's not something that you have to see. Shabbos is about a behavior. A behavior, let's say, is a lot easier to, to, um, to pass down from generation to generation because I'm going to copy the behavior of what they're doing. That's a, I like that. In other words, you're good. There has to be a certain rhyme and reason why certain things are spoken very little, some things are certain very lot. Now, let me give you a Kabbalistic approach. And by the way, it's important to know that there are many approaches. Mamish, I'm giving you an approach that it says in Kabbalah. And it's really very, very insightful. And it's good, it should register. You know, sometimes we have to we have to have these ideas, you know, uh, sit in our minds for a while for us to better appreciate it. Here are the words. Now, many of us heard the words, but let's repeat the words. There are many universes. There are many worlds. And the word and the name, and we have names, 
obviously it's not so foreign as we think. It's relevant to us. We have to make it relevant. We have to understand what that means. But the four worlds, and we're going now from the highest world to the lowest world, is the world or the universe of Atsilus. Lower than it is the world of Bria. Lower than it is the world of Yetzira. And we live in the physical universe called Asiya. They are interconnected. Not only, they are, not only are they interconnected, but just to make it clear that every now and then you can have a human being that is of flesh and blood, but they mamash are living in the world of Atsilus. So let me, let me give you some more words to it. The word of Asiya, when we speak about this world is a physical world, which means that there are certain people that their life, what they see, what they appreciate, what they strive for, what they fear from is all about the physical. You know, it's, beauty means something that looks beautiful, aesthetically. Ugly is something that is aesthetically ugly. Good, bad, their, their, whole, their whole experience is very earthy. This is the world of Atsilus. Now there's a greater universe. I'm going now in the opposite direction called Yitzira. Yitzira, as, as Hasidus explains, is the world of emotions. Emotions. So when you when you tell a person that's living in the world of emotions that there's something beautiful, their go-to will be that was a beautiful emotion, right? A good mida. You tell, wow, what a what an amazing, what a beautiful person. In the world of Yitzira, that means a person that has beautiful midas. What an ugly person means a person that has horrible midas. It's a whole different. It's the world of emotions. The world above Briam is the world of intellect. The world of it's a it's a universe. Now we can know there are with people that we might know that are just by nature or because they made a choice and they worked many years, they became intellectuals. And intellectuals means that they live in their mind. They live in the world of, of seichel. They live in the world of logic. They mamish, you know, some, some most of these people, like they almost neglect their physical because they're not living in this world. The world of Bria. Now, the world of Atsilus is already a whole different type of, it's like way above Bria. The world of Atsilus is the world where everyone and everything, Mamish feels that it is nothing other than an expression of God. It's the word of God. There is a world, but they don't experience themselves even to be, to exist. So there is chesed, but it's godly chesed. It's a, it's a whole different experience. Atsilus, Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. Now, Obviously, when God puts a soul in a body, we are anchored in Asiya. It's not that we cannot be in the higher worlds, but if you're living, and you should, we should all live forever with Mashiach, we live in the world of Asiya, but we can elevate ourselves also to. After the passing, just the words, after the passing, like Ganeiden, Ganeiden is in the world of Yitzira. The higher Ganeiden is in the world of Bria. Etc. Etc. Okay. Now, Torah is 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 a revelation of God. It's godly light. God is everywhere. God is everywhere. God is beyond Atzilos. God is in Atz. God is here. The Torah, therefore, is also everywhere. But the Torah is not packaged everywhere the same. Every world, it's all the same Torah, but it has a different form. So there is the Torah of Atzilus, there is the Torah of Bria, there is the Torah of Yetzirah, and there is the Torah of Asiya. Every Torah has all of the 613 commandments. And it's not only that it has a different form, 
But here are the here's the key. Let's think about it. What mitzvahs do you think are most relevant in Asiya? Will those mitzvahs be equally as relevant in Yitzira? No. Every world has mitzvahs that is more compatible with its world. Mamash Bela, you were speaking before about time. That not all mitzvahs could be practiced at all times, but all mitzvahs have to be learned in all times. So there are many levels to the mitzvah. So, so, but when you're speaking about practical mitzvahs, let's even say Shabbos. Shabbos practically is only to be kept on Shabbos. Not on Sunday. Not on Monday. So isn't the truth of the, the Torah of Shabbos eternal? Yeah. But just because it's eternal, it doesn't mean it could be practiced always. No, Shabbos can only be practiced on Shabbos. Same thing with the mitzvahs. Every world has its mitzvahs. Every world has all the mitzvahs, but every world has certain mitzvahs that are more relevant and more practiced on a whole different level than the others. If everyone can accept these premises, now comes the bottom line. Chumash is the Torah of the world of Atzilus. And let me tell you, this will give people so much insight. And Talmud of Bria and, and Mishnah of Yitzira, I want to focus on Chumash. Of course we have Chumash. When we take out of the bookshelf the five books of Moses, we're doing the biggest mitzvah. God forbid, Chumash is everywhere. But Chumash, based on the above, is the Torah of Atzilus. Now think about let's think uh, think about the let's generalize the mitzvahs. Let's go to Mishnayis. Do you know that the Mishnah uh, divided the the, the six thirteen into six types, six rows, six orders? Right. It's called the Shisha Sidre Mishnah. Right. We sing this every Pesach. Who knows six? The six books of Mishnah. What are the six books of the Mishnah? So you have. I'm going on the order. You have the laws regarding agriculture. Now let me ask you, do you think that in the world of Atsilos they're focused on that primarily? I would argue no. <coughs> Excuse me. The laws of agriculture <coughs> are earthy laws. Of course there is spiritual earth and, and it has a spiritual meaning, of course. But still, the Zerayim is not from the world of Atsilos primarily. The next category of the order are the laws that are connected to time. It's called Moyed. You know, the way we daven, Shabbos Yomtev, laws that are, we call that the, the, the life cycle of a Jew, and mitzvahs that are t- connected to specific times. In the world of Atsilos, they are almost above time. Like in the world of Atsilos, you can maybe be in Shabbos the whole time if you want. You can just live in Shabbos. There are even people in this world that they, they I heard a good liner, that they say that the weekday is Cholamoyed Shabbos. No, they're Shabbos Jews, and the weekday is just, you know, to get from one Shabbos to the other. In Atzilus, could be the, the, the Cholamoyed goes quicker. In other words, they are above time, not Moyed. The next order is laws of marriage. The way we get married over here is not Bechlal the way we get married in the world of Atzilus. Again, it's not that practice. Then you have laws of damages. Laws of damages for sure are connected more to this world. Who is damaging over there? Even if it's inadvertent, there is a lot of peace and harmony. Damages is from the opposite of Shalom. Damages, the further away from God, the more damages. But the last two orders, which is the laws regarding kachim, karbonis, sacrifices, and the last one, which is laws regarding purity and impurity, this is primarily what the Torah of Atzilus. 
And that explains everything. So when you open up a Chumash, what mitzvahs are the most elaborated karbonois and the laws of purity and, and impurity. And kashros is a detail of purity and impurity. You should know that the Torah calls kosher tahar, not kosher. That treif is called in the Torah tamei. Tum and tara is like a very spiritual thing. Purity, impurity, holiness, holiness and purity, that's atzilus. Tzoras is part of purity and impurity. Being that the Chumash is the Torah of Atsilus, that is why in the Chumash we have two portions speaking about leprosy. Because leprosy only happens in Atsilus, the biblical leprosy. What do I mean by the biblical leprosy only happening in Atsilus? First of all, in time in this world, since the destruction of the first temple, we never practiced the laws of leprosy. And according to most, there doesn't exist the type of biblical leprosy. Biblical leprosy is not the phenomena that people call leprosy. And by the way, leprosy is until today an ailment for which we don't yet have a proper cure. It can maybe be managed better, but we're far from curing it. Or let me say it differently, Mashiach is coming and we're all about to find a cure, but we don't yet have it. Is it the same leprosy? It's not the same leprosy. So read the Chumash. So let me tell you what the Chumash says. The Chumash says that if a person has on their skin, a skin that turns white like snow. Did you ever see someone that has white? I mean, look at a paper. Did you ever see someone that has a patch of skin white like this? I never did. I'm not saying it doesn't exist anywhere from the 8 billion people. It's not what we call leprosy. It's not a discolored skin. That's what the world calls leprosy. It's mamish white like snow. Now, really, there are like a few shades of white, but it's more or less like snow, like your piece of paper. This type of phenomena is, the Altarebbe calls, is miraculous. It happened, but it was not explained biologically. A scientist would not explain it. And that we all learned in, in the school, that if a person did for, for engaging in certain misbehaviors, primarily for speaking bad about one's fellow, then one's skin turned this type of color and the person was declared tummy. The Altareb explains that why is it that nowadays people speak not good about their fellow and none of this happens to them? Why? So he says like this, that certain certain ailments are only given to people that are very healthy. If a person has more serious health issues, then their health issues won't be, let's say, skin deep. It's going to be much deeper than that. Skin means, what's a leprosy? Leprosy means that the insides of the person is great. Where is there a place still for correction in the outside? It's the most external part of the body. I once heard in Brazil from a great Brazilian homeopathic doctor that even in current medicine, if a person is sick and when they are getting better, when they are getting better, their skin begins to manifest with sores or blotches, that's a good sign. It's a sign that the body is purging itself from the ailment and the ailment went away from the inside of the body to the outside of the body, which is why it's called a skin ailment. To the exclusion, it's not a flesh ailment. It's certainly not, God forbid, an inner organ ailment. It's only a skin ailment. So Adarab, the Altireb explains that only people on the level of Atsilus, which are people that are already on a very high level, they have to now deal with the skin problem. When you live in lower worlds, you got much bigger ailments you have to deal with. 
And he goes into greater detail, which we'll share another time, of what, what take is it. And Hasidus doesn't connect it that much which, with speaking negatively about the fellow. But Kabbalah and Hasidus speaks more about that very great people make people around them uncomfortable. They don't speak bad about their fellow, but they burn their fellow. Not with anything that they, they do uh, specifically by, by their being. In other words, did you ever f- feel almost humiliated when you stood next to another human being that is like 50 steps ahead of you? They're like, you know, sometimes you go around a person that's overly optimistic and it pisses you off. Like, hello, come on, get real. It, or when you go next to a big tzaddik, and many times big tzaddikim are very stern people. They're very judgmental because they're judgmental on themselves, but they become judgmental on others. So they put other people down, and it's not with words. It's just that their taka, their taka is so much greater that you feel a, you feel humiliated. You feel like a midget. So you hurt your fellow. Your skin is burning the fellow. This is more or less the way that, and now that is, we're not speaking about a person who really is unworthy, a person who's really a, a bluffer, and they just behave like a tzaddik, that's much, much worse. We're speaking about a genuine tzaddik, but didn't yet perfect his or her ability of hiding their tzitkis, not to make their fellow feel uncomfortable. That's even a greater level. That's All of this is the title of Atzilus. Why am I giving all this introduction for what we're learning in the Talmud? It's a very important introduction. Because when the Gemara speaks about ailments, what did we ask? Why didn't the Gemara speak about the, the modern medicine of its time? And it does not. It's really fascinating because I'm, we know once you start learning more, some of these sages practice medicine. And they did not necessarily practice Talmudic medicine. They practiced, uh, you, know, you know, they went to school and they practiced, you know, what we would call today Western medicine. It was the beginning of Western medicine. And the answer is, is that Western medicine is a chachma for the world of Asiya. And it works in the world of Asiya. Western medicine, and I, I can even maybe suggest that that's recently, that psychology is already the, the medicine of the world of Yitzira, because Yitzira is the world of emotions. It's a whole different type of medicine. It's a different type of medicine. I want to go back to Tzoraz. Amazing. How did they heal a person? The, the, the final healing of this week's Parsha, the elements of Atsilos, is a declaration of a coin. The coin declared your tame or Gaval, then your tame. The symptoms did not make you tame. The declaration of the coin made you tame. How did you become pure? By having a coin declaring you are pure. That means on a very deep level, on a very deep level, it's our declaring ourselves impure that makes us ill. And on an hour declaring ourselves to be pure, that is that is that is it. But that's on a very, very deep level. But if a person, God forbid, has a broken arm and they say, you know what, mind over matter, I'm declaring myself to be well, in the world of Asiya, it's not necessarily gonna work. It might be the first step needed somewhere. It's part of the solution, but the solution will be to go to a proper orthopedic surgeon and God forbid and then let that person fix your broken bone. It should never happen. So the Talmud is speaking about medicine of another universe. And, 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 and the modern medicine is dealing with the world of Asiya. It's two different worlds. Having said that, 
even though we live in the world of Asiya, but we have within us emotions. We have within us the world of Yetzirah. We have within us the Bria. We have within us deep down some a lofty level of a soul that's in, on some deep level is very much alive. And the soul on that level can be not the core. The core of the soul never gets ill, but not the core. Anything beyond the core, the world of Atzilus already, can, there can be impurity there. And that has to be remedied. And we also have to learn about it. And I think that's a great approach to learning from Yudic law. Not that I'm saying, God forbid, that all of the remedies that we will be learning are completely to be taken only metaphysically. No, 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 no. They were actually practiced. And perhaps the reason why they might be less effective, I'm not saying that they're not effective, but we also spoke about that there was a prohibition to actually practice it. And some held that sometimes you could practice it and it won't be effective. Why would that be? It's traitor. How can the remedy of Tayda not be effective? Because the, the remedy of the Tayda is effective if you are living in the world of Bria, which is the world of Talmud. For that type of human being, the remedy will be effective. And even using common down-to-earth examples, that sometimes you give a, a potent physical medicine to a person, but if their mind is in the wrong place, God forbid, if they're very down and they're very depressed, the medicine won't necessarily work. Not because the medicine doesn't work, because the medicine works only for the person who is in the correct world. If you're in a different universe, then maybe sometimes the remedy of one universe doesn't work for, for a person who's in another universe. I think that's a very good way of looking at it. So the Torah is emes, and the remedies are emes. And, 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 and especially in the times of the Talmud, it actually worked on them. And, and, and it might or might not work on people like us. But these are deep remedies. And if we would understand how to extrapolate um, the inner meaning of these remedies, it's really it's, it, it would give a person a lot of insight in how to heal the spiritual person. And having said all that, at least to read one, one additional remedy, fascinating remedies. And there's a story with the remedy. What's the story? That there was a Jew by the name of Rav Amram Hasidah. Even in the Talmud, certain people were called Hasidim. And they were great Hasidim. He earned his name. Today we're born into it by osmosis. We're lucky. No, this guy was, he, he, not his father, not his son. He was called Amun Hasid. Now, what happened was, is that historically, when the Jews went into exile, like here in America, or uh, we, we don't have any legal right to govern ourselves. No country wants that. A country wants to have its citizens abiding by by taking an oath to the law of the land. I don't know the specifics of how to become a U.S. citizen, but there, you know, there has to be some sort of ceremony where the person says that I'm a Kabul, the law of the land. That's how you become a citizen. When the Babylonians took us into Golis, they knew they had a lot of wisdom. They knew that Jews will always choose God before king, always. And, in, and they, they were not trying to, so to say, they never tried to convert us. That's why the Gemara is called Talmud Bavli. That's why we flourished so much in, in Bavl. The Babylonians knew that there's something really special about the Jewish people. And if they will let us be Jews, their country will benefit. They Bechlal did not, there was, there was no religious persecution by the Babylonians. The Persians, yeah. The Babylonians, no. The Greeks were horrible. 
The Babylonians know. Not only that, the Babylonians, when they took us into Golos, they gave us neighborhoods where to live in. I'm talking about large areas of land. And they legally appointed a Jewish king, a Jewish ruler. So we were given some sort of self-autonomy. Not everywhere. There were limits. We were not allowed to practice capital cases. But a Babylonian did not want for two Jews to go to their legal system. They didn't want that. They did not want us to call the police. We had police in Babylonia, Jewish police. In other words, the way we governed ourselves in Israel was the way we governed ourselves in Babel to a, to, with certain limitations. Daniel, an example. Daniel, the prophet Daniel. You know Daniel became the main advisor to Nebuchadnezzar? Not like the other governments that took us into exile that killed our leaders. No, they said the Jews are so wise, let us use their wisdom for us. And they understood what the, what the Western world doesn't understand, that the Jew retains his or her wisdom, dafka, when they are observant. They wanted us to be religious, not with their religion. We should keep the Torah. And they appointed a king. And the king was called Reish Galusa, the head in Galus. Many times the Reish Galusa was a tzaddik. And sometimes the Reish Galusa wasn't such a great tzaddik. But they were like, it was like a king, a kingdom. And they had the, listen, they were, they were the ones in charge of collecting taxes. They needed to give most of those taxes on to the king. But some of it they kept for themselves for their governance. They had a government to run. Now, every Reish Galusa had a rabbi because there's many halachic questions that you have to uh, abide by. Even the ones that were not that observant, but they were officially all from a Jews. Rav Amram Hamsida was the rabbi at a certain time to the head to this Reish Galusa. And they did not like him because as you can imagine with the word chassid, chassid means beyond the letter of the law. Beyond the letter of the laws is that many times there were halachic questions and they were explaining to him that, you know, this is communal issues and it would be advantageous if the ruling would be like this or, or like that. And he was always machmer. He was a big machmer. And it made, it, made, it made their governing challenging. And some people in the government have a magnule atalga. They would make him sleep on snow. Wow, which means that they punished him. Now, does it mean that they made him sleep on snow? Or does it mean that that they that when he needed to be, this rabbi needed to be living in the quarters of the Reish Golusa, they did not, they forgot to turn on the heater, so he froze at night. But they purposefully, to take vengeance on the fact that he was such a chassid, and they couldn't take that, they brought upon him, they made him be in, in an environment that was freezing. And he became sick. So after he slept on snow, they would ask him, what would you like to have for breakfast? Now he also knew that whatever he would ask of them, they would give him the opposite. So what did he tell them? So he tells them, honey, he said, whatever I'll ask them, they'll give me the opposite food. So he asked the opposite of what his body needed. What did he ask for? Bisra sumka, lean meat, non-fatty meats, the Khamro Marko and what the, the wine that we drink, which is not too concentrated, it's properly watered down, which is the opposite of what he needed. And they taka brought him the opposite. He asked for lean meat, they brought him fatty meat. He asked for watered down, diluted, properly diluted wine, not diluted, over diluted, just so you can drink it. They brought him 
they brought him undiluted wine. Now, the grapes in the times of the Talmud was not as large as today, because today we irrigate the fields, you know, not naturally. There's a whole Chachma. Israel is the leader in the world of irrigation. When you live in lands where there's very little rain, and there isn't any sort of irrigation system, then when there is growth, everything is like dried out. The grapes were not as plump, and when you made wine, it was very sharp. And that is actually the remedy. So when he would eat fatty meat and undiluted wine, that is the remedy for all ailments that come from being overly cold. A practical remedy. It's fatty meat and very heavy wine helps the body fight off ailments that came from freezing, from cold. So when you live in winter in New York, you're punished to have to undergo that suffering that should be part of your diet or any other part of the world that's overly freezing. And we're going to continue next week with Yalta, just to know that there are very few women that are spoken about in the Talmud. There are some exceptions. One was the wife of Rabbi Meir and one was this Yalta that came from a very wealthy family and she's quoted by her name. And she was very wise and she'll continue. She understood that a chachma, and that is, is that medicines have side effects. Medicines having side effects means is that certain things you take because you have an ailment. So it's good for that ailment. But but the medicine, but, but that medicine is going to bring about nutsadis. It's like going to the mechanic. You understand? So they fix the, the leak in the there, but they break something else, whether they do it on purpose or whether they're innocent. So she introduces the concept that after you take medicine, you have to take now another medicine to cure you from the first medicine. Go take the shot, and then we're going to have to take the shot to cure us from the shot. All right. I have a question. Yes. I have a quick question. So um, the the idea of these homeopathic remedies, Yes. Um, it sounds like it's kind of in this world because they, those remedies make no sense. You're talking they about... They actually work. Only if you believe in it. Well, first of all, it, it's it's plant based. Why would it not work? It comes, you know. No, homeopathy is like the, they they take away. Like they dilute. Like if it's, it's a negative thing. Like if you're taking arnica, there's nothing really there in that little white pill. It's how many how uh, how much was it diluted? They take something and then they dilute exactly. it. And the more you dilute it, the stronger it gets. Something like that. Because they, they tell you they're not healing you because of the Gashmias. They want to dilute the Gashmias. It's the same concept. It's, it's a Ruchnistic healing. This doctor that I mentioned before, homeopathic doctor, may he be well, his name is Rabbi Avram Amen. Stifelman. A guy, a, in Brazil, he's like a big doctor. He told me that he has yet to meet a real homeopathic doctor that did not become observant. He says, a Yid will become a Frum a Yid. He says, a Catholic will be Lahavdal, will become a Frum. He says, because it's a Ruchnistic system of healing. Mamish. Yeah.